This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Yosemite by John Muir. Chapter 15 Galen Clark. Galen Clark was the best mountaineer I ever met, and one of the kindest and most amiable of all my mountain friends. I first met him at his Wawona ranch 43 years ago on my first visit to Yosemite. I had entered the valley with one companion by way of Coulterville, and returned by what was then known as the Mariposa Trail. Both trails were buried in deep snow where the elevation was from 5,000 to 7,000 feet above sea level in the sugar pine and silver fir regions. We had no great difficulty, however, in finding our way by the trends of the main features of the topography. Botanizing by the way, we made slow, plodding progress, and were again about out of provisions when we reached Clark's hospitable cabin at Wawona. He kindly furnished us with flour and a little sugar and tea, and my companion, who complained of the benumbing poverty of a strictly vegetarian diet, gladly accepted Mr. Clark's offer of a piece of a bear that had just been killed. After a short talk about bears and the forests and the way to the big trees, we pushed on up through the Wawona firs and sugar pines and camped in the now famous Mariposa Grove. Later, after making my home in the Yosemite Valley, I became well acquainted with Mr. Clark while he was guardian. He was elected again and again to this important office by different boards of commissioners on account of his efficiency and his real love of the valley. Although nearly all my mountaineering has been done without companions, I had the pleasure of having Galen Clark with me on three excursions. About 35 years ago, I invited him to accompany me on a trip through the Big Tulum Canyon from Hetch Hetchy Valley. The canyon up to that time had not been explored, and knowing that the difference in the elevation of the river at the head of the canyon and in Hetch Hetchy was about 5,000 feet, we expected to find some magnificent cataracts or falls, nor were we disappointed. When we were leaving Yosemite, an ambitious young man begged leave to join us. I strongly advised him not to attempt such a long, hard trip, for it would undoubtedly prove very trying to an inexperienced climber. He assured us, however, that he was equal to anything, would gladly meet every difficulty as it came, and cause us no hindrance or trouble of any sort. So at last, after repeating our advice that he give up the trip, we consented to his joining us. We entered the canyon by way of Hetch Hetchy Valley, each carrying his own provisions and making his own tea, porridge, bed, etc. In the morning of the second day out from Hetch Hetchy, we came to what is now known as Muir Gorge, and Mr. Clark without hesitation prepared to force a way through it, wading and jumping from one submerged boulder to another through the torrent, bracing and steadying himself with a long pole. Though the river was then rather low, the savage, roaring, surging song it was ringing was rather nerve-trying, especially to our inexperienced companion. With careful assistance, however, I managed to get him through, but this hard trial, naturally enough, proved too much, and he informed us, pale and trembling, that he could go no farther. I gathered some wood at the upper throat of the gorge, made a fire for him, and advised him to feel at home, and make himself comfortable, hoped he would enjoy the grand scenery, and the songs of the water oozles which haunted the gorge, and assured him that we would return some time in the night, though it might be late, as we wished to go on through the entire canyon if possible. We pushed our way through the dense chaparral and over the earthquake taluses with such speed that we reached the foot of the upper cataract while we still had an hour or so of daylight for the return trip. It was long after dark when we reached our adventurous, 
but nerve-shaken companion who, of course, was anxious and lonely, not being accustomed to solitude, however kindly and flowery and full of sweet birdsong and streamsong. Being tired, we simply lay down in restful comfort on the riverbank beside a good fire, instead of trying to go down the gorge in the dark or climb over its high shoulder to our blankets and provisions, which we had left in the morning in a tree at the foot of the gorge. I remember Mr. Clark remarking that if he had his choice that night between provisions and blankets, he would have chosen his blankets. The next morning, in about an hour, we had crossed over the ridge through which the gorges cut, reached our provisions, made tea, and had a good breakfast. As soon as we had returned to Yosemite, I obtained fresh provisions, pushed off alone up to the head of Yosemite Creek Basin, entered the canyon by a side canyon, and completed the exploration up to the Tulum Meadows. It was on this first trip from Hetch Hetchy to the Upper Cataracts that I had convincing proofs of Mr. Clark's daring and skill as mountaineer, particularly in fording torrents, and in forcing his way through thick chaparral. I found it somewhat difficult to keep up with him in dense, tangled brush, though in jumping on boulder taluses and slippery cobble beds, I had no difficulty in leaving him behind. After I had discovered the glaciers on Mount Lyle and Mount McClure, Mr. Clark kindly made a second excursion with me to assist in establishing a line of stakes across the McClure Glacier to measure its rate of flow. On this trip, we also climbed Mount Lyle together, when the snow which covered the glacier was melted into upleaning icy blades, which were extremely difficult to cross, not being strong enough to support our weight nor wide enough apart to enable us to stride across each blade as it was met. Here again, I, being lighter, had no difficulty in keeping ahead of him. While resting after wearisome staggering and falling, he stared at the marvellous ranks of leaning blades and said, I think I've travelled all sorts of trails and canyons, through all kinds of brush and snow, but this gets me. Mr. Clark, at my urgent request, joined my small party on a trip to the King's River Yosemite, by way of the high mountains, most of the way without a trail. He joined us at the Mariposa Big Tree Grove, and intended to go all the way, but finding that, on account of the difficulties encountered, the time required was much greater than he expected, he turned back near the head of the North Fork of the Kings River. In cooking his mess of oatmeal porridge and making tea, his pot was always the first to boil, and I used to wonder why, with all his skill in scrambling through brush in the easiest way, and preparing his meals, he was so utterly careless about his beds. He would lie down anywhere on any ground, rough or smooth, without taking pains even to remove cobbles or sharp-angled rocks protruding through the grass or gravel, saying that his own bones were as hard as any stones and could do him no harm. His kindness to all Yosemite visitors and mountaineers was marvellously constant and uniform. He was not a good businessman, and in building an extensive hotel and barns at Wawona, before the travel to Yosemite had been greatly developed, he borrowed money mortgaged his property and lost it all. Though not the first to see the Mariposa Big Tree Grove, he was the first to explore it, after he had heard from a prospector who had passed through the grove and who gave him the indefinite information that there were some wonderful big trees up there on the top of the Wawona Hill, and that he believed they must be of the same kind that had become so famous and well known in the Calaveras Grove farther north. On this information, Galen Clark told me, he went up and thoroughly explored the grove, counting the trees and measuring the largest, and becoming familiar with it. He stated also that he had explored the forest to the southward, and had discovered the much larger Fresno Grove of about two square miles, six or seven miles distant from the Mariposa Grove. 
Unfortunately, most of the Fresno Grove has been cut and flumed down to the railroad near Madeira. Mr. Clark was truly and literally a gentleman. I never heard him utter a hasty, angry, fault-finding word. His voice was uniformly pitched at a rather low tone, perfectly even, although lances of his eyes and slight intonations of his voice often indicated that something funny or mildly sarcastic was coming, but upon the whole he was serious and industrious, and, however deep and fun-provoking a story might be, he never indulged in boisterous laughter. He was very fond of scenery, and once told me after I became acquainted with him that he liked nothing in the world better than climbing to the top of a high ridge on mountain and looking off. He preferred the mountain ridges and domes in the Yosemite regions on account of the wealth and beauty of the forests. Oftentimes he would take his rifle, a few pounds of bacon, a few pounds of flour and a single blanket and go off hunting for no other reason than to explore and get acquainted with the most beautiful points of view within a journey of a week or two from his Wawona home. On these trips he was always alone and could indulge in tranquil enjoyment of nature to his heart's content. He said that on those trips, when he was a sufficient distance from home in a neighbourhood where he wished to linger, he always shot a deer, sometimes a grouse, and occasionally a bear. After diminishing the weight of a deer or bear by eating part of it, he carried as much as possible of the best of the meat to Wawona, and from his hospitable, well-supplied cabin, no weary wanderer ever went away hungry or unrested. The value of the mountain air in prolonging life is well exemplified in Mr. Clark's case. While working in the mines, he contracted a severe cold that settled on his lungs and finally caused severe inflammation and bleeding, and none of his friends thought he would ever recover. The physicians told him he had but a short time to live. It was then that he repaired to the beautiful sugar pine woods at Wawona and took up a claim, including the fine meadows there, and building his cabin, began his life of wandering and exploring in the glorious mountains about him, usually going bareheaded. In a remarkably short time, his lungs were healed. He was one of the most sincere tree lovers I ever knew. About 20 years before his death, he made choice of a plot in the Yosemite Cemetery on the north side of the valley, not far from the Yosemite Fall and selecting a dozen or so of seedling sequoias in the Mariposa Grove. He brought them to the valley and planted them around the spot he had chosen for his last rest. The ground there is gravelly and dry. By careful watering, he finally nursed most of the seedlings into good thrifty trees, and doubtless they will long shade the grave of their blessed lover and friend. End of chapter.